Hey, welcome everyone back to the Reflex Solution. I'm your host, Donovan Miri, still at the How Design Live here in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Gaylord Opryland Resort. Washington A is our room, and I'm with Emily Mills. Emily, how you doing? I'm doing all right. The party was last night, so my voice feels like it's an octave lower than normal. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the opening keynote today? I didn't. I definitely slept in and took my time getting ready. <laughs> all right. They mentioned they had that giant light bright. This, this yeah, giant that was light cool. bright was, I mean, it, it had to be four foot across, three foot high, I don't yeah. know, something. And and um, she said she saw one of those in an airport, and that was the inspiration for the theme of the party, which was like, uh, was it Nashville neon light? Yep, something? that's right. So That was cool. Yeah, a lot of neon light stuff. Yeah, I, I don't own color because I'm a designer, and I just, I'm too afraid to dress myself, I guess, or design my own wardrobe, and so I showed up in not color. <laughs> so sure. it was a little more uh, on the boring side for me, but there are some cool outfits with like uh, the UV lights making it extra bright. So one guy had the the light up shoes all the way around him. Oh, I miss those. Lights and uh, like, like some sort of tennis shoes. And, and someone was asking him like, are those is that like light up stickers? Cause I mean with led stuff, Oh yeah, you, you can, can do, do anything. Stuff, or those shoes and like, no, these are actual shoes. I think, I think his daughter got them for him or something. He's like, never have a reason to wear them. And he's like, I guess I'm going to pull them out of the closet. Yeah, you know, like there's always little kids running around with the light-up shoes, and I think those kids grew up, and now there's a market for light-up shoes for adults. Yeah, and these were all the way around was the cool thing. Like That's it wasn't cool. just just a little little back. Yeah. So, Emily, what have you done your talk already? Yes. All right. What 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 did you come here to speak about? I came here to talk about transition as a creative professional. So it was a little bit of a talk, but it was mostly a group discussion facilitation. And what were you trying to get people to, to start facilitating here? Um, mostly are you trying I'm... to force them into a new transition, or are you discussing <laughs> transitions that already occurred? Um, just discussing transition as a whole, because we're always changing. Change is the only constant, and especially in our climate, we're over-informed. We have just a lot going on. There's layoffs. The economy kind of sucks. There's inflation and war, and it's just a lot. And so when you're navigating through personal changes, in addition to all the crap that's going on in the world. It just feels overwhelming. So my session was basically to give people a space to talk about how shitty it feels. <laughs> what do you do when when it's feeling worse than it should? So in my talk, I kind of talked about how there's four pillars, or the metaphor was chair legs, that you need to find stability in your life. So if you've got unequal chair legs, you're going to wobble and you're going to lose your balance. And so you need people, you need provision, you need purpose and prosperity and you need peace in your life. So when I'm feeling really wobbly, it's usually because one of those four areas is deficient or non-existent. And so is the idea is, is when you're starting to not feel right to start looking at well what is it that I'm missing? Yeah, so kind of do a personal audit like, hey, what what's missing here? What's causing the wobble? What can I do to fix that so I can find stability? In the prosperity one, I know that one that one happens with recessions, and sometimes it's out of your control. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And that can be kind of scary. But every time you start to have to remember, too, that this happens. Like, yeah. Like, they happen every seven years, usually. Or yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it feels like that. I think the last recession that I remember was 2008. But I know we've had a couple wobbles since then. Like, 2020 was a big one for everybody. And, yeah, you're right. A lot of things are out of your control, but... We can only control the things we can. So it's like, well, if you're out of a job, what can you control? Maybe you can just really focus on 
instead of applying to a thousand jobs out of panic, maybe you just really intentionally sit down and write a list of what you want in an employer and then you're done for the day. And then maybe the next day you only apply to a couple jobs. And so you learn to pace yourself because you're working from a place of panic rather than just peace and prosperity and like, hey, everything's going to be okay. Sometimes, I mean, I, I remember when it starts to get slower, even just writing down like potential jobs or, mm-hmm. or clients or whatever. You just start writing them down because that would start to then think that there was hope out there. Yeah. And, and regardless of if you contact them, usually you try to, but even if you didn't, <laughs> For some reason, maybe it was because a lot of these dips aren't as long as you think they are. Yeah. And then an interesting thing, too, is a lot of people think they have to be qualified based on the job description. When that's not, we have to have this, it's usually a a wish list. And so people aren't applying to jobs that they're more than qualified for because they don't believe that they're qualified. And then you have especially women, they just think they aren't worthy of things, so they don't apply to things. And you've got people of color and underrepresented groups who don't apply to things. And so we've got to find ways to get these underrepresented groups and people with bad behavior and like teach them, hey, you should apply to stuff, even if you think you aren't qualified, because you just never know. Like the interview is where the magic happens. I just taught a portfolio class, and I think I told my class that I was like, I I quoted a lot of what Steve Gates presented last year Mm. about, I'm like, these job descriptions are written, they're never going to find that person. No, it's a unicorn. (laughs) Yeah, and so so you need to, if you match most of the descriptions, or half of it, I don't know, depends on how many things they ask for, I guess, (laughs) I'm like, you can can put your name in the hat. Yeah, do it. What do you, like, what do you have to lose other than maybe 30 minutes to an hour of your time applying intentionally? Right, And, and usually at that point, you're, you have half an hour. Yeah. That's the time of that's the time in your in your year that you have the half hour. Yeah. And the other beautiful thing is a lot of the jobs that we think we want are not usually the fit. It's something that we never really anticipated or we didn't know existed. So like personal story, I was a graphic designer and then just through my personal practice and bunny rabbit trails that happened, I am now an illustrator. And that happened because I discovered this thing called sketch noting and graphic recording. I didn't know it existed, but I'm a perfect fit for it. And so you just have to like do stuff and put it out in the universe and see what happens and you never know where it's gonna lead. That is, that's interesting. We're gonna be right back and talk about sketch noting. Emily, you, you mentioned that it was sketchnoting that you found, or you never considered yourself an illustrator. I wonder if a lot of times people don't think that there's something because they have a vision of what that something is. So, like, when I hear, when I was younger and I heard the word illustrator, I'm thinking, like, almost fine artist painter. And, and then, you know, when I see sketch notes, that that is straight up illustration. Right. But it's different. Mm-hmm. And so if, if someone would ask me when I was like 10, is this person an illustrator? I'd be like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but but it is. Is is that part of the reason? I mean, what did you consider an illustrator before you got into it? Yeah. when One of my goals as a child was to grow up and be a newspaper comic strip artist. That was illustration to me, like comics and cartoons and the stuff you see in the newspaper and the like Calvin and Hobbes and Gary Larson were my big influences. So that's what I wanted to do. Like I knew people did picture books. Of course, I read picture books like most every other kid out there, but I didn't really want to do that. I was really drawn to the black and white line art, the clever writing, the being funny and witty. And, and what was it that made you 
how did you find how did you find the sketch notes? It kind of found me. So a friend of mine and uh, I lived in Texas. A friend of mine in Houston owned a video studio, and they signed a client to do a whiteboard illustration video. And they were like, we said we said yes to the project, but we don't actually have anyone on staff who can draw this thing. Can you come to Houston and just draw for this video? Uh, everyone's learning together, so there's no pressure. And I was like, uh, yeah, that sounds amazing. Get paid to sit there and draw, yes. And so I don't think they realize that whiteboard videos aren't actually done on whiteboard because it's super reflective. So I just sat there and drew on an actual whiteboard and we had to troubleshoot the lighting and it was terrible, but I think the client liked it and it turned out. They flew me back when I moved to Nashville to do another video. I posted this work online and just through a series of events, people contacted me like, hey, this looks really similar to that. And then I discovered like these RSA YouTube videos, which are very similar. It's basically a hand drawing while someone's talking. And that led me to sketch noting and graphic recording and illustrating at live events. And here we are. Now I do it full time. And you're, you are sketch noting this this event. That's right. So Gary and I are doing a summary mural in the Expo Center. We're both going to sessions, uh, sometimes for the whole session, sometimes just for 10, 30 minutes and getting some bullet points. And then we go down to the mural and create uh, little vignettes of each talk with the gold nuggets that we thought were the best. Are you guys also filling in with other gold nuggets people drop by with you? Or is it is it just you and Gary's personal experiences? Yeah, it's just Gary and I. We do have a attendee interactive mural where we have a couple question prompts where they can answer in their own words. And I've gone over there a couple times just to see, hey, what are the recurring themes? Like what are what's really sticking with people? And after our mural's done, if we have some space, I'm gonna borrow some of the things from the attendee mural. Oh, that's fantastic. What are, I always wonder, what do they do with these things when they're done? I don't know. Like, most of my clients throw them away. They'll take a picture, or I'll take a picture, and then that's it. It goes in the trash. Yeah, they just digitize it. and I mean, because it is, I mean, it's, it's, it is like 8 by 15 foot. It's huge, but yeah, the value is seeing it live. The value is being here and seeing the mural right after the talk that you just went to as well. But no one really wants to look at it after the fact. Like, a year from now, no one will really care what's on the mural the value is the live experience so yeah. that's why it gets trashed <laughs> i assume that was what happened but i'm like i don't know i should ask yeah some people are like oh my we'll gosh say, that's we'll so say, sad we'll say it gets recycled <laughs> yeah it's recycled i mean not in nashville we don't do that here <laughs> <laughs> oh okay i guess that's where we're at right. nashville literally does not recycle <laughs> oh really right oh, some sad. some areas of town do but there's not really a recycling plant <laughs> Okay. Okay. Where do people go to, to do, if somebody wants to do the sketch notes, where do you recommend they go to? Well, they can read my book or they can take some of my classes online at Sketch Academy. There's other... Okay, is it just sketchacademy.com? Yep. Sketchacademy.com. Or there's other books out there. There's other YouTube classes or just people who have created online courses. So there's a number of ways that you can learn. It's kind of up to you in your Google search. Where do you prefer people to find your book? Do they go to your website? Do you want them to go to Amazon? Do you want them to go to Barnes & Noble? I don't know. Yeah, like it doesn't this. matter. And what, and what is the website? If people want to follow you or do you have a social media place you prefer? Yeah, Instagram is probably the biggest hub. It's just Emily underscore A underscore Mills Instagram. And I've got all the links there that go to like the book website, my online courses, and all that. Sounds great. Well, we'll be, we'll be right back with Emily Mills. What, um... What kind of classes do you do on the sketchacademy.com? Um, a lot of them in the past have been skill-based. So 
when I first started out, I assumed everyone wanted to learn sketchnoting start to finish. Like, hey, I can't draw, but I want to sketchnote. Teach me how. And so I would have this three hour long workshop that people could come and take, which is a long time. And what I learned through doing these three hour classes is that it's a very small group of people that want that. And so I've switched classes to like, hey, we're just going to learn how to draw. Here's how to draw using seven basic shapes. And that's it. Or, hey, what are the seven shapes? We have a square, we have a circle, we have a triangle, straight line, curvy line, crooked line, and dot. Those are like the Lego bricks of drawing. Can't do a curvy line, I'm out. <laughs> Sorry, I guess you can't draw then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can do a circle, right? Yeah, Mobile? I got you. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, I'll half draw. I'm in, okay. Okay, continue. It's really just focused on certain things. So, okay, maybe you've already started sketchnoting, but you are really not confident when you draw portraits. Okay, we're gonna, just going to do a portrait class. And so the classes are really more focused on building a specific skill within sketchnoting. But hopefully by the end of summer 2023, I will have that full extensive three-hour in-person workshop turned into an online course. Uh, I'm really close to launching it. I just don't have a date yet. Okay, and what... What do you want people to get from their sketchnoting? Like, what, what is it? Are there goals that they should have? Yeah, there's two different audiences. You've got one group of people that have started sketchnoting. They're like, this is amazing. I want this to be my job, too. And so they're kind of on the professional track where they want to build their skills and get better so that they can earn a living doing it. And then you've got the other people that are like, sketchnoting is cool. It's just a hobby. It's really meaningful to me when I go to conferences and I can visualize the talks in real time. It's just a nice personal practice to have and they get a lot of enjoyment and value out of it. So two very different audiences. It just kind of depends on what your goals are. Okay. What were your goals when it first got into it? I would say there was professional because I got hired by that video studio and I was getting paid. And then as I kind of went down the rabbit hole of sketchnoting, a company contacted me and they contracted me like immediately. So it became my job very quickly. Oh, so that, I guess, yeah, that's not necessarily the normal route. No, it is not the normal route. Most people are hobbyists and that's perfectly fine. Right. Because I think, I think I've read that when you doodle, like even during meetings, your retention is a lot higher. Yeah, it's huge. It's like six times higher. And so do you think sketch noting is higher than that? Or do you think it's just that that way when the boss is looking over your shoulder, he thinks you're actually doing something? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think, one, it gives you something to do and stay engaged because meetings can really suck. And if you can at least engage your hand and your mind into something that's creative, it'll help you get through it and you'll remember it at the same time. And then if you pass those meeting notes out, everyone else is going to appreciate it because they were zoning out. Yeah, because, I mean, you are you are actually taking... The, the, you know, the difference between, like, just the doodles is there's a lot of... Most of the sketch notes I see, like... People write the great quotes that, yeah. that you end up remembering later on. Yeah. I kind of hate the word doodle because the literal definition means a drawing made absentmindedly. Oh. And with sketch notes, every drawing is intentional. Every drawing matches the text that you're writing. It's so it's such an intentional process. You're not writing about leadership and then drawing a unicorn. The drawing has to match the text in order for it to be relevant. And do you have any uh, any tips on our audience or what, what they can take away from this? There's so many places where I could start, but I would just say start drawing. That's the biggest thing. Even if you do stick figures, one mantra I have is just draw recognizable over realistic. So if you, someone can recognize what that thing is, you're good. Which I think like kids do so well at. Yeah. They're like, here's a circle with four ovals and some horns. It's a cow and we all know it's a cow. 
And that's all you need to do. Like the bar is so low, but if you just start drawing, you're going to get more comfortable with it. And then you're going to just build from there. That's fine. I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. What, uh, what other things at the How Conference have you seen here that you've, that you've enjoyed? I really... Like, what are you taking away? I mean, you're, you're sketchnoting this whole thing. So, I mean... Yeah. What's, what's, what do you want to... Is there... When you do this too, is there like a focus on the board? You do one object bigger or, or is it all kind of... You kind of treat it all the same and let people discover it themselves? Yeah. It's, I kind of... I try to be objective when I take notes. I don't make things bigger unless they were bigger presented that way. So... I try and just say, here's the information, here's what happened, and people can resonate with whatever they want to. I'm kind of treating everything the same. But personally, I've really enjoyed some of the sessions. Like I just came from Faye Amarante's session about self-destructive lies that we tell ourselves. So it's really great to hear sessions that are inspirational, like the Pentagrams and the Sagmeisters. But I also know that that's not realistic for me and where my career direction is going. So it's like, wow, that's so inspiring, awesome. But then I go to a session where it's like, hey, let's talk about our inner critic and let's talk about the lies that we tell ourselves. And that's really valuable for me. That's the sessions that I'm really enjoying the most. What type of lies were they given as examples that you're telling? I had to leave just before she got into them. But the first one was that I have to fit in. That's a big lie that we tell ourselves. And it's like, no, the more you are unique and you are true to yourself, the more people are attracted to you and you fit in because of that. No, I like I I do think that the I mean the the biggest selling point of a conference like this is that you get the whole wide range. Oh of it. yeah, you get everything. There's something for everybody here. Yeah, and and I and I don't think if you didn't have the the big inspirational ones, that would be lacking. If oh, you didn't absolutely. Have the ones that you can relate to would be lacking. Yeah, and there's people here who work at big agencies, and they need to see that inspiration because it is relevant to them. And then you've got people like me who work from home by themselves. <laughs> it's like, hey, let's just talk about our feelings because we don't talk to people very often. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you can sketch note them. You can yeah. Sketch note all your feelings. Yeah, I could. It's like journaling. Sketch yeah. journaling. Okay. All right. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your time. And uh, and it was uh, sketchacademy.com. That's right. And, and you got something big coming, but you don't know when. It may have launched by now. I mean, this is, this is a couple months in the future, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Thanks so much, Donovan. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.